Welcome to Marketecture, where you can get smart fast with in-depth interviews of leading technology vendors. I'm Ari Paparo. I'm here with Matt Kilmartin and Matt Karasik from Habu. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Ari. Let's start with a more in-depth discussion about what that means, how it works, and then we'll talk about sure. use cases. So we have two data sets from different parties. They want to match them without, without actually giving them to each other. That makes total sense. But how does the match work? Obviously, if both sides has an email address that's canonical, it will match. But what, what other ways are those matches taking place? So right now, we're probably most likely having an identity conversation very, very specifically. I have two okay. data sets, and, and they're keyed off of a different identity. The answer is, is that they're going to use an ID graph or one or more ID graphs, and there's going to be some set of logic around what that waterfall should look like. And so this is a this is a common use case in clean rooms, which is one or more of the parties will be bringing one or more ID graphs, and given what the specific use case is, they'll they'll use that ID graph. We've seen all sorts of flavors of this out in the market, be it one or both parties bringing their own proprietary ID graph or bringing one of the sort of larger third party. Uh, ID graphs out there and being able to use those ID graphs in in a clean room context. You know, everything that someone's trying to do in, the, in, in a clean room or specifically in Abu software is use case driven. So there's people who are looking to have their data sets have overlap for planning use cases, for execution use cases, for measurement use cases, and, and everything in between. What's the most common data that the buy side would use to enter into your system? I would say it would be things of the CRM nature. Right. So ident actual identity, the customer list, emails, things like that. And then you said they're using a, a graph. So it would, in this case, this scenario, would a buyer have already licensed a graph from, you know, Experian, TapEd, or someone along those lines? That would be a popular use case for sure. Right. And so, and then they want to match it, let's say, with the major publishers or a television company's database. So, so that's the, so they're using that graph that maybe can link with the publisher side. Yeah. A publisher and advertiser working together to do either planning or, or segmentation and activation or measurement. Yeah. Chances are they're going to use an ID graph. Sometimes we see the, the publisher bringing that ID graph. Sometimes, as you said, it would be the advertiser licensing a third party graph. Absolutely. And, and that would be become a data set that's available in the clean room. Got it. And, and so the, in most, in these cases, one of the two parties has a pre-existing graph relationship, or maybe both of them do. And Habu is not participating in that license conversation. Yeah, perfect. Habu doesn't own any data. We don't own any ID graphs. This is, we're interoperable with all of the ID graph providers out there, as well as all the formats by which Either party would be bringing their own proprietary ID graph. Great, that makes that makes sense. And is are there use cases that are that don't require a graph, like hashed email or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's absolutely times where both parties have you know authenticated users logged in data, and it's not a question of hey, our IDs don't resolve. It's just really a question of I can't ship you all this data for all sorts of reasons, and IT logistical reasons, legal reasons, privacy reasons and automation. And so it's not so much that uh, it's an ID resolution issue, it's just data protection, data privacy, and logistics issues. So yeah, very common use case. I, I think one thing I think this is important though is um, I think generation one of clean rooms or use cases 
is very much focused on the overlap use case. And I think there's a little bit of a perception in the market, Ari, about you have to have a lot of authenticated first-party data to derive value from this technology. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's important to dispel that because some of our early customers and arguably some of the more innovative ones have very little first-party data. And so we, we work with some, some large CPGs and obviously we all know CPGs are trying to get a lot of first-party data. And But if you think about the number of PII records they have versus the amount of people consuming their products, it's it's huge difference. The, some of the use cases with them is much more around uh, using models, right? And so one customer in particular has actually built sort of propensity models around likelihood to uh, like different products. Mm -hmm. And in that world, they're actually running those propensity models in our clean room on partner data sets to mm. score the partner data set. So in that world, that is, you don't need an ID graph. You don't need to have a lot of hashed email, right? That's more just more of like a data science application of, of leveraging a clean room technology. How much of a hurdle is it to onboard either a buy side or a sell side customer in terms of security reviews, privacy reviews, and that whole that whole process, like what, I guess, to put a sharper so point on the question, how long does it take from someone raising their hand and saying they want to participate to, you know, going live? So not that long. I'll let Matt give the technical answer. And the, and the reason why is there was two design principles that we made at design time. One was being identity agnostic and the other one was being cloud agnostic. And so, you know, that the SaaS solutions from sort of previous were all about copying the data, moving the data. And we don't do that. We actually bring the intelligence to where the data resides. And so if you were on our website, you probably read about our partnership with Snowflake. Snowflake actually invested in our Series B. And, you know, if when we're, you know, if we're literally deploying an agent and reading out of their Snowflake instance, the data is not in, in Habu, right? It's really in their Snowflake instance. And so from a privacy and security and technology review, it's relatively, you know, not that big of a deal because it's already, it's not leaving Snowflake or whatever sort of cloud data infrastructure they're working with. So we can go deeper on that technically, but that's one of the, the key sort of design principles. Yeah, I think that is worth understanding a little bit more. So if I'm using Snowflake, uh, as, and for those who may not know, Snowflake is a very exciting sort of database data warehouse provider. So I have my data, my user data there, and I want to match it with someone else. You're saying that the agent, your technology actually resides within my Snowflake instance? That's right. It it would reside on your instance and your your partner's instance as well, such that Habu software can facilitate the right type of data sharing at runtime to let both parties execute what both parties have authored and handshaked and agreed agreed upon in in broad daylight, and make it so that that and only that can can occur and out and without any data moving and frankly without Habu software actually even ever accessing any data. Mm -hmm. So does that only when both sides are on Snowflake? What if one side is on something else, Redshift? Yep. So what's called the Snowflake pattern is unique to if both parties are on Snowflake, but Pabu software is completely interoperable. So if it is a hybrid cloud environment, which is a very dominant use case, right? It could be, you know, Snowflake and AWS. It could be, you know, GCP and Azure. Uh, mm -hmm. Super common and, and Habu software absolutely is interoperable and connects in that way as well. Anything you'd like to share about your one to two year product roadmap? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we largely think about the the areas we need to invest in the product in a, in a few different buckets. One is interoperability and 
will sort of never be done there. We, you know, we, it's, it's important to take that Disney use case where they want to collaborate with a hundred partners. The chances that all hundred are on, have all their data in the same format, in the same platform, on the same cloud is just not realistic. And so it's our job and our software job to make it so that if two parties want to collaborate, the answer is yes, no problem. It doesn't matter what kind of data, where their data is, what format, what kind of code they're bringing, what kind of ML environment they're working on. And so that'll sort of be a never ending piece of the roadmap. Today, we think we have amazing coverage where the answer is always yes today, but we don't get to be done. We'll, we'll never be done there. Um, the next layer is privacy and governance. And that's another one where as long as interoperability is a never ending roadmap, so is privacy and governance, because whatever that sort of data and compute modality that anyone's looking to use, we need to be able to you know, inject the right levels of privacy and governance controls wh where they are. And then that leads to sort of the, the next two, which is the, the R in ROI, right? Which is that intelligence layer and letting teams continue to, to innovate and push and let their data reach its full value potential. You know, I, I think if I rewind the clock on the industry and I look at some of the other solutions we see in the market, you know, I think there was a theory of like, oh, we're just going to rebuild all the old programmatic advertising pipes for the exact same set of use cases. And we're just going to redo those in a new way and have everyone in the industry fit in one of six boxes. And we're just not seeing that play out because companies now have data and product teams who have big ambitions and big ideas and big roadmaps. And so we'll sort of never be done on letting teams go and author the next use case that comes up in their mind. And then the last piece is how do these partners find and engage with each other, right? The whole world of, hey, do you want to go into a clean room together and, and create this output? Today is a little bit still, as Matt said, sort of early adopter moving into early majority. But this thing needs to become super fleeting, super high volume, super high velocity. And how do we make it so that, you know, two folks can go have a lunch, cheers and say, ooh, that's a really good idea and be up and running with it the next day. Thanks for listening. To hear the complete interview, subscribe at architecture.tv.